Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. And so I've kind of been operating off of a, uh, a guide, if you will, covering a bunch of things I want to make sure get covered. I find it interesting and funny that tonight what God would have me to talk to us about is murmuring and complaining. I think that's funny. Because there was a lot today if you wanted to murmur and complain about last couple days. And I just think sometimes God has a sense of humor. I don't know that necessarily God takes great offense if we have a certain level of frustration with the weather. I don't think that God prepares his lightning bolts of vengeance if we get a little weary of winter. But I do want to talk to us tonight about this idea of holiness and our Christian attitudes when it comes to murmuring and complaining. We find Jesus has just done some wonderful miracles, many wonderful miracles affecting positively large masses of people. Then we find Jesus heals a man and changes his life forever in just a few moments. But he seemingly makes the mistake, if you could ever say Jesus made a mistake, of doing it on the Sabbath day. Because he does it on the Sabbath day, some of the feelings toward him begin to change a little bit. Some of the people watching him that may have had a positive view of him just days before now begin to take a little bit different stance on this Jesus. Their opinions are altered in John 7 and 12, and it says, and there was much murmuring among the people concerning him. For some said, he is a good man. And others said, no, he deceives the people. Some said he was good and some said he was bad. But there was a whole lot of what the Bible says, murmuring. Everybody say murmuring. We see it again after the church has been formed. Amen. After the, uh, the Acts 2 experience, after the power of the Holy Ghost, after the preaching of Peter and the church begins to grow exponentially, We see in Acts chapter 6, and in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring. Somebody say a murmuring. That's a good thing for us to point out because it's easy to point out that some, you know, Pharisees and Sadducees murmured about Jesus when he did a miracle. It's easy for us to point out those people who act like that. But this is the book of Acts, Holy Ghost filled, Jesus name baptized church in the midst of revival and some begin to murmur. 
of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. They found a reason to murmur. The word murmur that is used in the scriptural context means what you think it means. It, it, it means to grumble. It means to, to grumble. It relates to a more common word for us that we use more offering than, often than murmuring or grumbling. We use the word complaining. Complaining. Complaining has become such a thing in our society that just about every establishment has a complaint department. It has a box on the wall, it has a, a website, it has, you have the ability to leave a review. Do we have any review leavers in here? You don't want to raise your hands. It's the beauty of the review. It's anonymous. You can say whatever you want to say. And that's the society we live in. We have ample opportunity to complain. Complain. To murmur and complain is not a New Testament idea or problem alone. It is part of humanity, has been so for a very long time. We see it in the Exodus story. Amen. Alone, uh, we find much murmuring going on, even after they have been miraculously delivered from Egypt, even after they have miraculous provision in the wilderness. Look at Exodus 16. And in the morning when ye shall see the glory of the Lord, for that he heareth your murmurings against the Lord. And what are we that ye murmur against us? And Mo Moses said, this shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat and in the morning bread to the full. For that the Lord heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against him. The word murmur is a lot in this scripture. Would you murmur against him? And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. And the Moses spake unto Aaron and say unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he hath heard your murmurings. And it came to pass, as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. Speak unto them, saying, At even ye shall eat flesh, and in the morning ye shall be filled with bread, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. Would you look at your neighbor and say, God hears your murmurings. <laughs> the very nature of murmuring is supposed to be that it's somewhat on the down low. It's somewhat unnoticed by everyone else. It's somewhat quiet. You kind of murmur to the person next to you. You kind of murmur to the group in your little vicinity. You don't stand up and project loudly your murmurings. That's not the nature of a murmuring. But yet we see in this chapter over and over and over that it is saying God hears your murmuring. He hears it. He notices it. They say, we want this. God says, I hear that. And then he says, you're going to see it, and you're going to know that I'm the Lord your God. Now, without understanding of the scriptural context, one may think that this proves murmuring to be effective. We murmured a lot, and God gave us what we wanted. 
We murmured that we didn't have bread and we didn't have meat. And God just heard our murmurings and he gave it to us. Murmuring should be the new prayer. We should have, instead of call to prayer, it should be a call to murmuring. Because God says, I'm going to do what you murmured and you will know that I am the Lord your God. And so you could think that that's maybe a good way to get what you want from God. But the book of Numbers tells us there's more to the story. Numbers 11 says, And there went forth a wind from the Lord and brought quails from the sea and let them fall by the camp as it were a day's journey on this side and as it were a day's journey on the other side round about the camp and as it were two cubits high upon the face of the earth. That's a lot of quail. And the people stood up all that day and all that night and all the next day and they gathered the quail. And he that gathered least gathered ten homers, which means that even the guy who gathered the least gathered a lot. And they spread them abroad for themselves round about the camp. And while the flesh was yet between their teeth, ere it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people. And the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. And he called the name of that place Kibroth Hattavah, because they were there they buried the people that lusted. So maybe I don't want to murmur for things. Maybe if I murmur, I get what I want more than I want, more than I can handle to the point I get sick of it. You see, you notice the nature of murmuring involves over-dramatizing a situation. It involves building something up. They, they, they like to do things. The, the Israelites did this multiple times in their journey in the wilderness. Said, oh, this is horrible. Why did you get us out of Egypt? Why did you bring us out here to die of thirst or to die of famine or to die of pestilence? Why, why, we always want to go back to Egypt. Everybody knows that's an over-dramatization of the situation. But it's part of oftentimes murmuring. It's, it's making it more than it really is. It's blowing it out of proportion, having an overhyped sense of negativity. Notice it seeks to point the finger and place blame on someone. Murmuring is never effective unless you can blame somebody. It's got to be somebody's fault. That's why it's tough when it snows. Because... You know, you don't want to blame God. But, you know, we don't really believe Mother Nature is a real person. So we find some other thing. We find the forecast person who missed it. We find the driver of the car going through the roundabout too fast. We, we find the Whatever. There's got to be something. There's got to be a person. There's got to be an object of our murmuring to blame. But you have to pay attention that God may respond because he's paying attention to our murmurings. But it may not be how we want him to. In Numbers, we see the other word used. In Numbers 11.1, 1, it says, And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it. And his anger was kindled. We don't think about our complaints being heard by God. In fact, 
I have found when I deal with people, uh, routinely I think they don't think about God hearing anything they say unless they're actively praying when they say it. They don't think about God hearing every word that comes out of their mouth. They only think God pays attention when they start to pray. But that doesn't make any sense. Does that make any sense? The Bible speaks about every idle word. It tells us that we have to even take into captivity thoughts. It's trying to tell us you got to be careful what you say. God hears it all, even if it's not directed towards him, even if we don't think it's about him. He hears it all, murmuring and complaining. The book of Jude only has 25 verses, but it speaks on this subject. In Jude 1, it tells us are, are the 14th and 16th verses of Jude. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and for all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. That's an interesting use of the word ungodly there three times in a row. He says, the Lord has done this because of their ungodly deeds. Their activities are ungodly. The things that they have committed are ungodly. Their speech is ungodly. And then he says, of these people that are ungodly, these are murmurers, complainers walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in ad admiration because of advantage. According to Jude, murmurers and complainers are ungodly. It's not the behavior of people that would consider themselves people of the Lord. And it's necessary for us to consider this then. If this scripture wasn't here and a whole bunch of other ones that I might use tonight, if they weren't there, it wouldn't be necessary for us to talk about this. We could just say, ah, a little murmuring, a little complaining. It's not a big deal. It's part of the human experience. It's part of the human experience to murmur and complain. But it's necessary because oftentimes murmurers or, or people who are just apt to grumble or we just kind of you know, okay, we put up with them. They're maybe keep them a little bit at a distance and, and their complaints and complainers are simply put up with because, well, that's just who they are. That's just viewed as a weak personality trait. It's just, you know, that's just who they are as a person. And, but the scripture calls it ungodly. And the scripture connects it with ungodly behavior and calls it out specifically as something that God hears and pays attention to, and he does not like it. So that means we have to take it more seriously. That means we have to think about it a little bit more. See, murmuring and complaining are usually the result of a problem being had, a challenge being faced, a difficulty that we are going through our life, or a person that's just really getting under our skin. Murmuring and complaining are usually the result of, of these types of negative aspects of life. There's usually a person or persons involved. Paul says to the Philippian church, you'll recognize this verse, do all things Chapter 2, Philippians, without what? Murmurings and disputings. 
He connects disputings. He's talking about the idea that most of the time when we murmur, it's because we have a problem with someone. There's an issue, and we are, have not dealt with it. But he says that you are supposed to do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Now we're getting a little bit more understanding of why this matters to God. Now we're getting a little bit more understanding of why this is important. Because he's reminding us that we are supposed to be different. Can I get an amen? amen? We're supposed to be different from the world. We're supposed to be different from the behaviors of the world, from the outlook of the world. We're supposed to be sanctified, set apart for holy things. We are supposed to be different. And the Bible is telling us and Paul is reminding us just like he reminded the church in Philippi that we are in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. You live in the middle of a crooked and perverse nation. And he says, among whom you should shine as the light of the world. You should shine as the light of the world. And he says, you know how one of the ways you can shine as the light of the world in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation is? You cannot murmur. See, I told you holiness is broad. Holiness is a broad subject. There's a lot of ways that we are the light of the world, and Paul says this is one of them. This is one of them. So we have a problem with someone. We have a difficulty. We have a challenge, a disagreement, an issue. If we have a problem, we have a process. Matthew 18 speaks to that process. Verses 15 through 16, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. That's a biblical approach. And it doesn't mean brother in just the, the, the family sense. It means Brother as part of the body. So this applies to everyone in any situation. You got an issue, you go and you talk to that person, just that person. You try to work it out between you and them. If that doesn't work, you try to work it out with you, them, and a couple other witnesses that we might be able to establish it, what the Bible says. What does it mean by that? It means that we are not supposed to spread our problems around to everyone else. It means we're not supposed to take our negative situation and see how many other people's day we can ruin. Right? It means that if you're walking into work and you've got a frown on your face and you're discouraged and you're having a bad day and you're frustrated with life and your coworker is smiling and happy, your goal that day should not be to ruin their life. Amen. He says we have a reason and a way to deal with these things, but it's not to spread it to everyone. 
We are to try to resolve it with as little spillover as possible. Once again, why, why is that important? It's important because ye are the light of the world. You are an example of the believer. So there's enough nonsense in the world. There's enough junk in the world. There's enough people that'll just pour out their issues over your head. And he says, you can't be like them and be a light unto them at the same time. So what's so it's a problem with some grumbling and some complaining. Well, it depends on how far it goes. It depends on where it's coming from in you. In Exodus alone, we find 12 major complaints of Israel against God's plan and against God's leader. 12. They had a lack of faith in God. They had a lack of respect for their spiritual leadership. And because of this, hear me now, because of this, they travel for 40 years on a journey that should have taken them a few months. I need everyone to hear me tonight. 40 years to complete a journey that should have taken them a few months because the reward of murmuring and complaining is wasted time and opportunity. Did everybody hear me? Your reward for murmuring and complaining, what you get for that is wasted time and opportunity. You could be living in promise, but you're stuck in the wilderness. Amen. Jude teaches us to avoid the rebellion of Korah, it speaks up. This is the man who criticized Moses and his leadership, boldly rallied other people to try to come against Moses and his leadership. What was the outcome? Number 16. But if the Lord make a new thing and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up, with all that appertain unto them, and they go down quick into the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. I'm going to stop right there for a second and say, listen, folks, you don't want to be provoking the Lord. You don't want to be provoking the Lord. The problem is, is too often we think that the only way you can provoke the Lord is if you just do some crazy, hideous, outright, dirty, rotten, sinner sin. But this was just, we don't like him. We don't like Moses. We think we should, we think we should have some more power, some more say. We don't like the plan. They provoked the Lord, and it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up, and their houses, and all the men that appertained unto Korah, and all their goods, they and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. He said, you're going to know if, the, what if God does something you've never seen before. What if he opens up the earth and swallows you in it? 
They obviously didn't think that was possible until it happened. Because they provoked the Lord with their murmurings and their complaining. Even Miriam, she's an older sibling of Moses. She's called a prophetess in Exodus 15. She's a good lady. She does some great things. She goes on to do some great things. But she begins to murmur and complain, and God responds in Numbers 12. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently and not in dark speeches, and the similitude of the Lord shall behold, he behold. Wherefore, then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? God says, I'll talk to Moses however I want to talk to Moses. I have a relationship with Moses that I don't have with you, Miriam. We got something different happening here, and I'll do it however I want to do it. And how were you not afraid to speak against it? Why didn't you have some sort of respect for my plan, God is saying. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed, and the cloud departed from off the tabernacle. And behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. God causes leprosy to come out on her body. Now, it's only for seven days, and after seven days, they move on. But that's a hard way to learn a lesson. How many know we would learn lessons better, though, today, if that's how it worked? Do you think? I mean, there's something about this church age that we live in, this age of grace and this kindness of God, and it's all this love of God stuff that, you know, sometimes it's not really working in our favor, so to speak. I think people would really, really learn some lessons is when they did it, leprosy came on their body. And God was like, all right, leprosy for seven days. You got to go outside of the camp, live out there, go out some field somewhere. We'll Use a drone and drop some food in on you. Don't touch anyone. Unclean, unclean. Don't you think that after seven days of that, you would be like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to do that again. And she's a good lady. But she starts murmuring and complaining, and she has to learn a very, a very hard, hard lesson. Paul was talking about a, a very wide view of life when he said in Philippians 4.11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Paul was speaking about an entire approach to life. And this is the guy that was shipwrecked and beaten and naked and didn't have food and people turned their backs on him and all that kind of stuff. He says, I've just learned in this life that no matter what state I'm in, I'm going to be content. Is it possible that Paul looked around and said, I could complain, but that doesn't seem to work out too well? Is it possible that Paul looked around and said, I could murmur and complain, but that, that's only holding people back? That's only getting people stuck. That's keeping people in, in, in bondage. That's, that's keeping them in, in this place. And they're trying to grow. And they want they got all these plans. And they got all these ideas. And they got all this future that they want to accomplish. But they can't stop murmuring and complaining. And it doesn't seem like they ever go anywhere or do anything. So I'm going to try to live my life that no matter how 
no matter where, no matter what, I'm going to be content. I'm going to be content. Here's the reality. We will be mistreated at some point. You want to see a 100% survey? Has anyone ever been mistreated? Raise your hand. Right? You will be mistreated at some point. Bad things will happen in this life. People are going to let you down. That's not a negative view of the world. I'm not saying that that's how it's always going to be, that everyone's horrible and they're always going to fail you. I'm saying that that's a reality, that there are going to be days like that. So what, what do we do? Well, if you really want to talk about it, why not make it a matter of prayer? If God's listening anyway, why don't you just go ahead and talk to him about it? You see, it's interesting to me that I can say almost the same exact words if I'm talking to God and I'm saying, God, here's my problem. Here's my issue. I can use almost the same exact verbiage that I would have used murmuring and complaining with the person next to me, murmuring and complaining, just walking around grumbling. You ever met people like that? They're just walking around grumbling. You pass them in the mall, in the store, and you're like, who are they talking to? I don't know who they're... They're just grumbling and murmuring and complaining. And that has a negative response. And God doesn't like it, and it's ungodly, and it can kindle, uh, kindle wrath against us. But I can, I can make it a matter of prayer. I can go to God, and I can say, here's my problem. This is how I feel. This is the situation. This is what I'm bothered by. This is what makes me upset. And I can make it a matter of prayer and have a much, much better response. So really, it's just about who are we talking to? Are we talking to God? Because the difference is, it's not just the direction of our prayers. It's the acknowledgement of who God is. When I pray, I am acknowledging that there is a God who is big enough to handle the problem. I am acknowledging that I cannot do it on my own. I am acknowledging that there's probably no one else right now that can help me with this situation or may not be able at all to help me with this situation. And so I'm going to God and I'm saying, you are God, I am not. Here's the problem. I need you to help me with it. So it's not just about the direction of prayer. It's about acknowledging who God is. And saying that this is me and my weakness and my finite ability and this clay pot crying out to you for help. So we should make it a matter of prayer. The Bible has already directed, as I read, that if you have a problem with a person, that you should talk directly to the person. A conversation. Imagine that. Now, just to clarify in this day and age, I'm talking about a face-to-face -face conversation. Do we remember how to do that? I'm not talking about texting 
or email. I'm not even talking about, you know, your face looking into a screen and their face looking into a screen. I mean an actual face-to-face conversation. That's what you're supposed to do with the person that is involved. But we should not, somebody say not. We should not seek to solve it, or should I say, fix it to our liking, or avenge ourselves. We should not seek to avenge ourselves. Somebody say, that belongs to God. God. Romans 12. Recompense to no man evil for evil. That means you do not give them back what they gave to you. You say, well, you don't know what they gave to me. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If it's what they gave, if evil to you, you do not recompense them evil back. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Now, you've got to catch the spirit. You've got to catch the spirit of Romans 12. If we take that verse and we start saying stuff like, oh, yeah, God's going to get you. Mm, okay, but you just wait. Earth's going to open up, swallow you. You're going to get it. You're, gonna, you're missing the, the whole spirit of the thing. You're missing the whole spirit of it. The spirit of it is not you're going to get what you deserve. The spirit of it is I'm not going to get vengeance on my own. I'm not going to take the place of God. I'm not doing that. I'm going to try to live peaceably with everyone. With everyone. I'm going to try to live peacefully. David's interactions with Saul are a good example for us to follow. Saul clearly wronged David. There's no dispute. Nobody would look at it and say, oh, Saul was just having a bad day. He tried to kill him multiple times. Tried to kill him. Tried to have him killed. It's clear that he wronged David. It's also clear from our perspective of Scripture that he sinned to the point that God rejected Saul. He was already rejected as king. Right? His sin caused him to be rejected. He was no longer going to be the king that he was intended to be. It's also clear from Scripture that Samuel had already appointed and anointed David to be the next king. All of that is very clear 
He tried to kill David multiple times. He sinned so badly, God rejected him, tore his throne from him, and, and Samuel has already anointed David as the next king. The only thing that hasn't happened is the throne and the crown is still on Saul's head. That's the only thing that hasn't happened yet. Still, on two occasions, David refuses to kill Saul when he had an easy opportunity to do so. In fact, you can make an argument that David was in positions that were almost miraculous. That somehow David hides in a cave, back in a cave, and that just happens to be the same place where Saul comes with some of his soldiers and they camp out at the mouth of the cave so much that David and his men can walk straight up to them in the middle of the night while they're all asleep. That almost seems like it was God-ordained. That almost seems like a person could kill Saul and say, well, I mean, surely that's what God wanted me to do. Twice, David has the opportunity to kill Saul easily, and he refuses to do it. As long as Saul was king, David refused to harm him. You say, well, what was he doing? He was waiting on God to remove Saul or to fix the situation. He was waiting on something else to happen. He was waiting on Saul to be repentant. He was waiting on Saul to say, you know what? I really messed this whole thing up. I really got to get my act together. But he was not going to take his vengeance. You see, the, the issue is this. What it takes to fix a situation is too often more than what people are willing to give. That's the reality. That's the bummer of it all, frankly. What it takes to make it right is often just more than people are willing to do. They just don't want to. It can be challenging. It can be difficult. The conversation needs to be had. Needs to be had. And those first words can be hard to get out of your mouth. Those first sentences to start that difficult conversation can be very hard and everybody's waiting on someone else to do it because I don't want to do it. It can be hard. Nobody said that forgiveness was always going to be easy. Just said that you're supposed to forgive. Nobody ever promised that it was just going to be the easiest thing in the world to forgive the wrongs that were done against us. That's not true. That's not real. But yet, that's what's necessary. That's what has to happen. So instead of murmuring and complaining, we must learn to be content and we must learn to pray. 
We must learn to go directly to the people involved and only those who can help. And we must learn to communicate, hear this now, with the right attitude and the right outlook. It ain't going to do you any good to go have the conversation, try to solve a problem if you can't be humble, if you can't have a forgiving spirit, if you can't be sorry for whatever role you played in it. Amen. Isn't it interesting that almost every time that we are on the outside of a situation and we're looking at a situation, that we can see how some people on both sides of the argument may have made some mistakes. But when we're in the situation, it's just unfathomable. I mean, here I am, this perfect human being. And how could they be so bad? It seems like the only time anything is completely one-sided is when we're involved in it. It's okay, you can smile and laugh. So, you say, well, you know what? The truth of the matter is, is yeah, I, may, I did some things. I responded, but because of this, because of that. The reality may be, it may be 90-10. It may be 90% their fault. It may be 95% their fault. I'll make you feel good. It might be 98% their fault. But you still got to go to that conversation humbly, ready to forgive and ready to say, I'm sorry for the, my role, anything I've done, what I've done. That's what I mean when I say sometimes what it takes to fix a situation is often just more than people are willing to give. Because they're just not willing to say, well, I know I did some things wrong. And some people seemingly can never be satisfied. They murmur, they complain, they refuse to cooperate, they're self-willed. They cannot accept any correction without becoming angry. They cause trouble, spread rumors, sow discord. They seem so routinely caught up in problems and situations no matter where they are or who they seem to be with. Don't be nudging anybody right now. It's just, it's just like you just can't satisfy. And people like this may have, and this will be my final little thing, they may have what is called the root of bitterness. Hebrews 12, 14 through 15, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Many, many be defiled. 
We find here in this scripture of Hebrews 12 that bitterness can defile our holiness. I want you to say that with me. Bitterness can defile our holiness. Let's say it again. Bitterness can defile our holiness. We find here that having the proper attitude is actually a major aspect of holiness. That our attitude is part of our holiness. A root of bitterness. It means the source of bitterness. Everybody say the source. The source of bitterness. It's in the heart. And it causes the outward manifestations that we've mentioned. Some of the things we've talked about here tonight. It's in the heart. But it causes these outward manifestations. It produces its own kind of fruit. Everybody say it produces fruit. It produces its own kind of fruit. None of which, none of which is the fruit of the Spirit. The root of bitterness produces its own thing and none of it has anything to do with what God wants. When that root is in someone of bitterness, it can be different from person to person. It can be a grudge. It could be jealousy. It could be a wrong done to us that we have not turned over to God. It could be a deep issue that we have yet to surrender to God for help and healing. It's deep down in there. And sometimes people are just, it just seems like too much to deal with it. But the the reality of it is, is because it's there, it's producing fruit. It's producing fruit, and you can see that fruit. We, we do not have the authority to judge the motives or to judge the heart of another individual, but we can observe their fruit. I can't observe your heart. I can't observe your motives, but I can observe your fruit. I can observe your behavior. I can observe your activity. I can observe your murmuring and your complaining. I can observe your fruit. The fruit speaks for itself. That's why the fruits of joy and peace and these things are so wonderful because of what they speak. But this other fruit that's being produced also has a voice and it speaks for itself too and everybody can see that fruit. Now I need you to keep in mind, this is very important. You must keep in mind that a person producing such fruit is doing so for a reason. There is a source. Somebody say there is a source. There is a source. There is a cause that brings about their calamity. Now, 
knowing this, knowing that there's, there's a reason. There was a day, there was a moment, there was an activity, there was something done, there was something said. There was an action taken, an experience had that caused this root of bitterness to get down and they didn't deal with it, they didn't pray about it, they didn't talk about it, and it began to produce fruit. But it's important that we remember that there is that source, that there's a reason, that something that happened. They just weren't born that way. They weren't always like that. Now, I know that knowing that doesn't make them any more pleasant to be around. I'm aware of that. But I do think it's important that we understand that that's not who they really are or who they really could be. I think it's important that we understand that if they didn't have that root of bitterness, that they wouldn't be producing that fruit. That's important. If they didn't have that moment, if that, if that thing hadn't taken place, and if they hadn't dealt with it perhaps wrongly in the first place, that wouldn't be there. I find that to be very important when trying to live in the world that we live in and I try to help people to know that this is not how they were born. This is just how they are now. And that they can be different. That they would allow God to do spiritual surgery on them. But once again, that brings us back to my statement that for some people, it just seems like it's just too much to ask. Because for God to do spiritual surgery on a person, they must just really lay themselves down. They must really humble themselves. They must really just submit to God's plan. But oh, if they would, if they would, it would be amazing. Because God could do spiritual surgery on them and get that root of bitterness that if it's there since they were 5 or 10 or 20 or 40 or it's been around for a year or six months, he could cut that thing out and let healing flow and that fruit would stop. And there's something very special and very powerful about seeing someone whose life has turned so that they are producing spiritual fruit. Oh, hallelujah. They can be different. And it's, lastly, it's just very important that we must all realize that situations in life will work against us all sometimes. And none of us are above it. And sin will most definitely work to establish itself deep in our heart. And most definitely somebody's going to do all of us wrong at some point. And all of us will require forgiveness from God and man multiple times in our lives. 
all of us will need someone to forgive us at some point. Probably at many points in our lives. And so we remember to forgive the murmuring and the complaining. We remember to forgive the root of bitterness and the fruits of the root of bitterness. Because if I don't forgive, then I'm in danger of becoming a murmurer and complainer myself. If I don't forgive them for their actions and their thoughts and their nonsense, if I refuse to forgive them of that, I'm in danger of falling into that myself. If I don't forgive them, even for the fruits of the root of bitterness in their life that can sometimes affect me, if I don't forgive them, I'm in danger of getting a root of bitterness in my life. Oh, hallelujah. We all need forgiveness. So we all need forgiveness. Stand with me tonight, if you would, please. I know that my delivery, my pace has been a little slower tonight. It's not that I'm intentionally trying to create some sort of somber environment. I'm not. But I do want us to grasp this. I do want to just teach tonight. I just want us to really grasp what is happening here. The reality that God hears our murmurings and complainings. The reality that we can take them to God in prayer and that they can be effectively dealt with or we can murmur and complain to ourselves or those around us and they do nothing but kindle God's anger against us and keep us stuck. The reality of the root of bitterness in life and how the fruits that it produces are ugly, damaging. The reality that we are all capable of falling into some of those traps if we forget how to forgive. I need us to grasp that. Because the world's not getting better. The world's not getting better. And the people that we are going to be connected to that God's going to want us to help are going to be more messed up than people have ever been. And when they begin to open their mouth and share their story, you're going to hear things possibly that you never thought, that you never fathomed. And you're going to understand that there is some reasons why. They are the way they are. And that's a good thing. Because if there was a day that it came, there can be a day that it's taken away. Oh, hallelujah. If there was a day that the sinfulness and the darkness of this world put it into them, there can be a day when the light of truth and the gospel and the blood of Jesus Christ can take it away. Amen? It can be changed. It can be better. Let's lift our hands and talk to the Lord for just a minute. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. 
Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you and we hope you have a great week. Thank you.